Good to see you. It's so good to be led in worship by that guy right there, Mark Jolicoeur, this morning. He's got a, he's got a cold. He's got a, like a nasal cold, which is just perfect for your first week leading worship, right? You know, and uh, just, just what he wanted, you know, his first Sunday. And uh, I wish that, you know, I was down there thinking, you know, I wish we could say, you know, we found him or, you know, didn't we do a great job of finding a worship leader? It was all God. It was just, it was all God. It was just, God just literally tapped him and called him and spoke to him. And then Mark came forward and said, I, you know, I don't know what to do with this. And we said, we do. Sign here. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. Anyhow, thank, praise God. Uh, Mark is a... Uh, a man of character and depth. You'll, you'll get to know how, how uh, deep his relationship is, is with Christ, and uh, so thankful for that. Uh, we have a special newcomers event today. We do these every couple of months. It's called Hello. It is right after this morning's service. It is a free pizza dinner, and uh, I'm going just because the food's free. Actually, I'm going because I'd like to meet, uh, meet you and uh, I'll be there, and I'll share more about uh, the Wesleyan Church, who are the Wesleyans, and tell you about our denomination. I'll tell you more about this church. I'll tell you more uh, about myself and my family, things like that. And then I'll answer any questions that you have about anything. I'll do my best to, uh, to answer th those. And so it is in the family center, which is, which is upstairs at the very end of the hall in the education wing, over in the other, other part of our facility, go up the stairs, go, go till you can't go anymore, and uh, just follow the smell of the pizza. And so if you're new to Monk to Westland, you've never been to one of these things before, uh, new, new, newish, newer, uh, and you'd like to know more about a church, I invite you to join me for pizza right after the service in the Family Center. If you need directions, ask an usher or somebody at the information booth, and they'll get you there. Bring your whole family and uh, just join us for lunch. We'd love to have you there. We are wrapping up a 21-day Daniel fast. Woo! Yeah. And I think that the miracle of the fast is that I went three weeks without coffee. That's the miracle. I weaned myself off, so I actually went like 24 or 25 days uh, without coffee, and, and then started to wean myself back up again. So if you've been fasting with us, here's the, here's the good news this morning. Uh, feel free. The, the guy who starts the fast can also break the fast. If you've been fasting with us, feel free to break your fast today. Break it anytime you want. Run out right now and go get a coffee if you want. I released you from the fast. So thank you for... Uh, it's been a great experience, and uh, many of you have told me that, you know, that it's just, it's been a great spiritual season for you, that you've been thankful that you, that you did the fast, and uh, we have advanced, I believe, as a church, we've, we've, we've advanced, and as individuals in our relationship with Christ, and uh, I don't know if we'll do one again, I don't know, but uh, I'm glad that we did that one. Uh, last Sunday, I mentioned an Easter offering. And uh, no, we're not spending money on special Easter offering envelopes or anything like that. Just use the offering envelopes that are in those chairs in front of you next Sunday. And just if it's a special over and above uh, Easter offering gift, you can mark it that way. We're nearing the end of our fiscal year, which is uh, in the Wesleyan Church. Our fiscal year is, ends in April. 
and uh, we've been running a little bit behind on budget, and we would love to finish the year strong. We always want to finish the year strong, and we want to have the resources that we need to be able to do the ministry that God is calling us to do. So that's your, right there, what I just said, that's your letter in the mail, that's your phone call from me, that's, that's everything. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, a great celebration next Sunday morning and a great Easter offering to help us finish the year well. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Are we okay? Thumbs up. If you brought, if you brought a guest this morning, just, just turn to your guest and say, he doesn't talk about money every week. Okay? So, because uh, we, really, we really don't, but we want to have a, a great offering next Sunday for Easter. You should have received an Easter invite card on your way in today. Did everybody get one of those? This is yes. Everybody got one of those? Okay. Uh, if not, there, you'll be able to grab some of these on your way out as you're leaving today. And our Easter series that we're, we've been in for a few weeks now, our Easter series is called The Invitation. And here is the invitation. This, this is the Easter invitation. Treat this thing like gold. And if you need a handful of these on your way out this morning, then grab a handful. If each one brings one next week, then this place will be packed. And so your mission this week is to use this card and invite at least one person or one family to join you here for Easter Sunday morning. So you just, you know, if you're going to give this to someone, personalize it. Write their name in. Give it to them. Tell them you'll meet them in the atrium or you'll drive them to church or you'll, we'll have a coffee before. We'll take our coffee in and, you know, sit together and, and all, that, all that stuff. More on that later. We've been focusing on the invitations of Jesus as we get closer and closer to Easter. The Bible itself is an invitation, drawing us in, inviting us to, to see and to know and to accept the love of God. Jesus is an invitation. His life and his teaching and his ministry, everything about Jesus beckons us to, to, to follow him with our own lives, to deny ourselves, to serve him, to, to love others the way that Jesus would love others. The cross, we have a cross down here on the front of the stage this morning. The cross is an invitation. You can't avoid the cross. You, you have to make a decision about the cross. Either it's, it's just an ancient form of execution or it's where God executed his plan of salvation. Jesus invited people to look at his scars and decide for themselves if they believe that he truly died to take away their sins. The next Sunday, our focus will be on the empty tomb. And the empty tomb is the ultimate invitation. Come and see where the body was. God has an open door policy. The, the empty tomb... Is an open door. It's an invitation to come and look inside and see for yourself. And we're in Mark chapter 8 this morning. And uh, let's just set it up here a little bit. Jesus and his disciples have traveled north from Galilee to uh, an area called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, they're walking one day, and Jesus gives the disciples a pop quiz. And he says to them, who do people say that I am? And so they respond with all sorts of things that they've been hearing on the street about what people are saying about Jesus and who Jesus is. And after they toss out a few names that they've heard kicked around, Jesus makes the question more personal. And he says to the disciples, okay, that's, that's, that's what other people say I am. But who do you say I am? Who do you say 
that Jesus is? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And that's the scene set where we pick it up. We're going to pick it up in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, but not from God's. Then, calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the point in the relationship where Jesus takes it to the next level. And now that Peter has been clear with Jesus about, about Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus wants to be clear with them about what that really means. They've been getting glimpses of it. They've been getting hints of it. But they haven't really gotten the, the whole Jesus download until this conversation right here. And Jesus goes into more depth about who he is than he ever has before. And, and Peter rebukes him. Peter does not like the sound of this. He doesn't like where this is going. He resists God's plan for Jesus as if he has a better plan. The deeper you go with Jesus and the more you know about Jesus, chances are you're going to run into some things that just, just aren't convenient for you and what you want to do and where you want to go. Like Peter, we have our plans and, and we have our narrative of how our lives should roll. But as you journey with Jesus, you might find out that God has very different plans for your life. In the first part of this exchange, the first part of what we read here in Mark chapter 8, Jesus tells them what is going to happen to him. He talks about how he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. And they're shocked. They're shocked now. They don't know what's coming next. In the last part of that text that we read, he tells them what's going to happen to them. What Jesus is saying is like this. He says, I'm going to lose my life for you, and they're shocked. But then he says, so that you can lose your life for me. Now, who wants to sign up? Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to following Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for him. Back to verse 31. There are three different times in the book of Mark where Jesus predicted his death. It's here in this one, this text. It's again in Mark 9, 31. It's again in Mark chapter 10, 33. He begins to tell them that he must suffer many terrible things. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was just reading that verse. And 
be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, teachers of religious law. So now we can go to that next slide, Cindy. Jesus tells them, I'm going to suffer many terrible things. I'm going to be rejected by elders, priests, and teachers. I'm going to be killed, but then I will rise again on the third day. This is a stupefying announcement. This shatters every imaginable concept and construct of messiahship that they had ever dreamed about. Jesus is telling them that he's, he's not going to be some super rabbi who, who reestablishes the Torah and, and the temple in Jewish, in Jewish life. He's not going to be a, a regal royal messiah come to topple Rome and to topple the tyranny of their political systems. He's not come to be warrior militia messiah calling people to to bear arms, stirring up a coup, an uprising of, of military might. He, he washes, Jesus is completely different from anything they, they ever dreamed that he would be. Instead, Jesus is this Messiah who gets down on his, on his hands and his knees and takes a bowl of water and a towel and gets in the dirty places between people's toes. He literally washes their feet. He eats with sinners. He, he touches lepers. And now he tells them that he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by those who claim to know God. He will be killed, and then he will rise again. He's nothing that they expected, but he's everything that they need. He's not at all what they expected the Messiah to be, but he's everything that they need. Let's look at verse 32. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus uses a word here. It's this word openly. There it is. Your text might say plainly, plainly or openly. And it's, it's a rare word that only appears in the Gospels. And we only see it in connection with, with the impending suffering and death of Jesus. The Greek word here is parisia. And it's a rare word. When, when you see these words in Scripture that that are rare, and, and when they're only used in very, very specific circumstances, and you, you pay attention to those, those words. Jesus wants to be super high-definition clear about this. He wants us to, to, like, to perk up or to, to listen closely, to pay careful attention. Don't miss what he's saying here because it carries extra weight. Now, we, as we're reading this text, we have the benefit now of knowing what he said next, and how he called them to follow him. But, but just for a moment, you remember there, there's two parts to this text. There's the first part where he talks about what's going to happen to him. And then there's the second part where he talks about what's going to happen to them. If you can separate the two for a moment and just focus on the first part, when Jesus tells them what is going to happen to him, imagine how that, that message would have landed on the ears of his disciples, and they're thinking, what is, he, what is he doing? What is he talking about? I left everything to follow this guy. I had high hopes for what he would do, and, and now listen to him. He's defining his future in terms of suffering and rejection and, and death. And then, to top it all off, Jesus tells them, it won't be the worst of humanity that drives Jesus to his death. He tells them it'll be the, it'll be the elite it's going to be the very best of humanity. 
that drives them. The people who are at the top of the religious ladder of the day, the ones who are thought of in the community to be the most righteous people around, the guys who follow the law to the absolute max, the elders, the leading priests, the religious teachers, they're the ones who are going to arrest Jesus. They're the ones who are going to torture him. They're the ones who are going to turn him in to be sentenced. They are the accusers. Have you ever taken Jesus aside, had a little talk with Jesus, hoping that you could convince him to see things your way? Ever done that? Apparently, you know, heaven's like sending, they got a wrong number or, you know, wrong signal, something, something's out of whack here. Jesus, Jesus, can, can, here, Jesus, can we talk this over? You ever thought that God was off track, out of line, not in sync with where you were going? And, and maybe you push back on God at times. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Or flat out rejected where God was leading. It, Mark clearly wants us to see the, the two extremes that are unfolding here in this text. Jesus begins to teach them about his mission. Peter begins to rebuke Jesus for being misaligned and misinformed. Jesus reveals the plans of God for his life. Peter rebukes the plans of God for him and for Jesus. Jesus reveals his purpose. Peter reveals his selfishness. The tension here between God's will and my will. And Peter can't handle the truth. And he had all he can take. And he pulls Jesus aside. Let's talk this over. We know from verse 34 in this text that there was a crowd of people around. And it's reasonable to consider that as, as Jesus was talking about suffering and rejection and dying, that, that Peter was reading the crowd. And he either saw people like just checking out and they're like, I'm, whew, I'm you know, walking away. He either sees people checking out and walking away or he, or, or he can tell that, that, that Jesus had just changed the climate in, you know, in, in the conversation, the people were getting really uneasy with, with the message of Jesus. Because if Peter is thinking more on the, the military uprising, we're, we're going to have a coup to end all coups. Like, if that's, what, if that's what Peter's thinking, if Peter wants to overthrow Rome and the Herods, he needs a crowd. He needs Jesus to not drive people away with what he's talking about. He, he needs more and more people. He needs a crowd. If his goal is to raise up an army and Jesus is making people uncomfortable, then Peter's going to, he, he's going to call Jesus aside and see if he can't change the subject. You know, can we, can we tone it down? Can, can maybe, maybe share those things with us uh, at the end of the day when there's not a big crowd of, of people around? And Jesus knows that declaring the truth is more important than drawing a crowd. And we will always do that here at Monk and Weston. We'll never stop declaring the truth just to draw a crowd. Declaring the truth is more important than drawing a crowd. Church growth without God's truth is a joke. It's pointless. Verse 33. 
Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. That was clear. That was clear. Friends, this, this is a difficult verse. And there are more difficult verses coming in this text. But this is, this is a difficult verse. It's seatbelt Sunday at Bunkton Weston. We're glad you're here. Jesus clearly draws a line. And he knows. He, he's not going to let Peter get him off track of his mission and his purpose and what he came to do. He knows why he left heaven. He knows why he came into our messed up, broken world through a virgin named Mary. He knows why he took on human form. The purpose of it all was for him to pay the only price that could be paid to break the power of sin in our lives. Ultimate, ultimate grace that is free and available in this place this morning. Ultimate grace came from the ultimate sacrifice. Sin, death, and the grave were defeated by Jesus Christ taking out on our sin, dying in our place, being buried for three days in a borrowed tomb and rising again. When Peter opposes Jesus, he, he's opposing God's ultimate plan of redemption for humanity, for, for all of us. And so Jesus draws a line and he says to Peter, you're either with me or you are against me. You are either in line with the purposes of God or you are out of whack, you are out of line in opposition to God. And Jesus it obviously is not worried about who might walk away when they hear this message, his, his message and why he came. I mean, the temperature on this conversation just goes red line, right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There is nothing casual about this conversation, and there is nothing casual about being a follower of Jesus. Nothing casual. Let's make it more personal. More personal. There is, there is an enemy of your soul. His name is Satan. His mission is to get you off of God's mission. That's what's happening in that text. His mission is to get you off of God's mission. He does not want your life to be in God's will. He opposes the plans of Jesus for your life. He wants you to argue with Jesus and deny Jesus and just be the Lord of your own life. And when you sense, friends, when, when, when we sense, when I sense, when you sense that something is coming against you that wants to take you away from God's best for your life, you have to get serious and draw a line and say, get behind me, Satan. That's what you have to do. When, when you're at a crossroad, always choose the crossroad. When you're at a crossroad, what, what am I going to do here? Because that, that, that looks very attractive. That is very tempting. That, that, that's wrong, but nobody's, nobody's watching. Here's the, here's the right road. Here's Jesus. When you're at a crossroad, 
always choose the cross road. Always. It's God's plan. It's God's best for your life. Verse 34. Calling the crowd to, to join his disciples. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. It gets worse. <laughs> don't leave. Calling the crowd to hear this. He says, hey, let, let's just be clear about it. Let's not fool around with this. Let me just make it absolutely crystal clear what we're talking about here. If any of you wants to be a follower of Jesus, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If we parallel Jesus' earlier thoughts, remember there's two parts of the scripture, right? There's the top part and then there's the second part. So Jesus says what's going to happen to him and then when he says what's going to happen to them. We parallel the earlier thoughts of suffer, rejection, and death. And then if you take the three key words from verse 34 where he says to us, turn, take up, and follow. Suffer, rejection, and death. And Jesus says, turn, take up, and follow. We see that the way of Jesus is the path to Jesus. Did you follow that? Because we're talking about following. So it, when he says his way, the way of Jesus is suffer, rejection, and death. That's, that's the path to him, too. The way of Jesus is the path to Jesus. Suffering, rejection, and death. Turn, take up, and follow him. Jesus didn't just speak about a way. He is the way. He modeled a life of ultimate self-denial and sacrifice. And then he invites us to follow him by turning from our selfish ways and taking up our cross. The cross was the most visible of all of Rome's instruments of terror. Crucifixions were often on the main road leading into a community, a city. That's where they did them. So as you're approaching the city, the crucifixions were just outside the city gate Kind of like the billboard that says, welcome. This is what we do to our criminals. Have a nice visit. The letter of Mark, this book of Mark that we're reading, uh, was most likely written from Rome. And Mark had Peter as his primary source of information. And so much of what we're reading in the book of Mark is is eyewitness accounts from Peter relaying this to Mark. The letter was written near the time when Nero would crucify Christians for sport, for, for, for fun. He would do it by the masses. When Mark's letter gets circulated to these early believers, it reminds them that they're suffering under Nero is not a sign of God's abandonment. It's an identification of their faithfulness to the way of Jesus. When he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. That phrase, take up your cross, 
is to bear whatever God has called you to bear. It means life won't be perfect. People will fail us. Health will fail us. Brokenness, disease, the effects of living in a fallen, sinful world cannot be escaped. If people reject you for your faith, take up your cross and follow Jesus. If people falsely accuse you, take up your cross and follow Jesus. If it seems like you're all alone and everyone else is drifting away in sin, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Days when you are tempted to take an easier road, take up your cross and follow Jesus. When temptation intensifies and no one else is looking, take up your cross and follow Jesus. When you're at a crossroad, take the cross road. Take the cross road. Verse 35, he tells us why. Maybe you're asking the question, why this morning? Why? Why would I do that? Why? Because Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you live for yourself, you'll die by yourself. And it's sobering. If the whole point of your life is to make a name for yourself or to satisfy yourself, if you make it all about yourself, you'll miss the whole point of life itself. If Jesus says to the crowd, come on in, he says, listen to this. The best investment of your life is to give your life away. It's to give it away. I mean, we, we wrestle sometimes over, well, how much am I supposed to give? What do I give to Jesus? It's an easy answer. All. Can you say it? All. That's, that's what you give to Jesus. He wants you to throw your life into his work, his mission, accomplishing his purpose on earth. If 100% of us gave 100% of us, we would see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives changed for the glory of Jesus Christ all over the world, everywhere. The first people who carried a cross, imagine, the very first people who decided to, to identify with, with an emblem of execution, the first people who decided, I'm going to put one in my hand or my pocket or I'm going to wear one around my neck, they were definitely not making a fashion statement. They were signifying their total allegiance to their crucified and risen Savior and a total relinquishment of their resources to the cause of Jesus Christ. They followed with abandon. No strings attached. No turning back. A couple chapters later, in Mark chapter 10, a rich man runs up to Jesus, kneels before him and asks, Lord, what must I do to receive eternal life? And they talk this over. There's an exchange going back and forth. And Jesus takes him from, he takes him from simple acts of obedience. That's where he starts. He takes him from there to full-on, all-in devotion to God. And Mark tells us that when Jesus looked into the eyes of this guy that was asking these questions, Mark tells us that Jesus felt genuine love for this, for this person. 
Jesus knew how hard it would be for this man to let go of all of his stuff, to cash out in order to take hold of God. And when Jesus asked him if he's willing, are you willing to, to forsake everything? Are you willing to, to sell it all to follow me? The man walked away because he knew he just couldn't do it. Real discipleship counts the cost and then goes all in for Jesus Christ because you'll never get a better offer than grace. You'll never get a better offer than grace. Verse 36, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything more, is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus, I mean, it was, it was, it was red line before. And he's cranking it up a few more notches here. And Jesus connects all of this to our souls. And he challenges us to consider the value of a soul. What is one soul worth? What is your soul worth? Is any sin or putting anything ahead of Jesus in your life, is it worth your soul to do that? Is anything, Jesus asks, worth more than your soul? This is, this is a staggering staggering sentence this should drop us to our knees this should have people running literally to the altar for confession for repentance for forgiveness this is the reason church why we cannot be okay with empty seats every empty seat every empty seat represents a soul that Jesus died for is anything worth more than a soul the, the answer is no your soul is the only thing making it out of this world. I don't care if they stuff your casket full of trophies and Rolexes and bags of Starbucks. That was the most valuable stuff I could think of. It's not going with you. And I'm, and I'm not trying to ignite you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God would light an urgent fire of compassion in each one of us that we would go out into the world this week. We would invite like crazy. We would get people here on Easter Sunday morning so that more people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He is alive and he died for them. That's why we do this. You remember a couple weeks ago I said, if, if this whole invitation thing, if this comes across to you like, like church growth jargon or something like that, you remember what I told you to do? I said, poke yourself in the eyes. And if you can't do it, get somebody else to do it for you. Because it's, that's not what it's about. It's not about building anybody's kingdom. It's about depopulating hell. And, uh, and we believe, we believe that every person is a soul that Jesus died for. Souls matter in church. That's why we cannot be okay with an empty seat. An empty seat. We need seats on seats. You've heard me say that before. We need seats on seats because we want to put more souls in heaven. That's what those seats are there for. They're not there so that you can stretch out and have a row to yourself and put your feet up. I have no idea where I am. Um, we're going to have some baptisms next Sunday. We're going to have some baptisms. So last Sunday, I did some spontaneous, felt the Holy Spirit telling me to do this, and I asked you if there was anyone here last week who would raise their hand and say, Pastor Tim, 
I want to be baptized on Easter Sunday morning. And there were at least four hands, I think, that went up in the congregation. And then there were a couple more people who contacted us uh, after that. And if you raised your hand, make sure that you use one of those Connect cards in the seats and let us know that you're planning on being baptized, that you'd like to be baptized so that we can get in touch with you. And I thought, well, I, I, went, I went fishing last week and it worked. I'm going to do it again this week. And maybe there are more. Maybe there are people here right now, like right now, right now, who you, you uh, have not been baptized in a Christian church or, or in a Christian service since you made the decision for yourself to be a follower of Jesus. This is your decision. You know that you've accepted Jesus Christ. You want to be baptized, and you've, you have not yet been baptized on your own decision. And you'd like to be baptized next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Here's another uh, spontaneous opportunity to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll do that. Count me in. I'd like to be baptized Easter Sunday morning. We have not people who raised their hands last Sunday, but, but other hands. Is there anyone else? Where are you? Oh, in the balcony. Yay. Oh, that's cool. All right. All right. Uh, someone else. Anyone else? Another balcony? The balcony is on fire. If, there, if there's some here who are kind of undecided and on the bubble, you might want to bring a change of clothes next week because you might get wet. Because the Holy Spirit might talk to you and, uh, and we'll give an invitation. All right, well, that's, that's exciting. It's verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man would be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Ashamed. You remember earlier in verse 31 that Jesus said he would suffer, that he would be rejected for us, even to the point of death. It's reasonable then for us to take risks, for us to be bold in our faith for the name of Jesus. If it's true, gang, if it's true, and he is the resurrected king, seated at the right hand of God, then we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Jesus mentioned so long ago, adulterous and sinful days. And what it means is this. It means all the more reason in in, in days like that, in days that we're living in, all the more reason for followers of Jesus to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ because people are desperate. They're desperate for hope. And Jesus is the answer. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you again this morning for your word, the power of your word. God, I thank you for those who are raising their hands and indicating that they're going to be baptized on Easter Sunday morning. And, and probably nothing we do has, has more 
symbolism of the resurrection and baptism, being buried in the likeness of, of Jesus Christ, buried in his death, and being washed and, and made clean and being raised up to new life, raised just as you rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we look forward to that. God, maybe right now, Lord, you're, you're resurrecting lives around this room. Maybe right now, Lord, you're, 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 you're breathing hope of resurrection where into, into hearts that need it. People who walked in here this morning, maybe broken or, or doubting or afraid or, or whatever, and, and they needed a word from you, and you're giving them that, that word right now, God, uh, letting them know that if you raised your son from the dead, you can raise and resurrect anything in their lives. You can give them hope today. God, I pray for these invitations. And Lord, I, I'm praying that this would not just be another Easter, that this would not be just another invitation, but that, Lord, we would, we would carefully, prayerfully, urgently, compassionately uh, take these invitations with us this week and, and, and do whatever it takes to be bold and loving and caring, but but, but as much as we can do to bring people Easter Sunday morning because we believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be here and, God, you're going to change lives for eternity. Be with us, Lord, I pray, as we respond now to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.